The book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedman, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, guys, by your hands, please. Lord Jesus, um, what an honor when we think of the, the fact that uh, we're in a place where you have given us your holy word to understand who you are, uh, to understand who we are, and uh, to understand the world you've created. And so we pray you would allow us to not be flippant in our approach to the handling your scriptures and understanding what you say, but we ask, Holy Spirit, you would guide our minds, you would uh, fill our hearts with desire to know the truth, to uh, be willing to discern, give us your wisdom, and, uh, and as we dialogue and try to understand what you're saying and what were you saying through these authors, and we pray, Lord, we wouldn't just get smart, we pray it would lead toward worship, that we'd worship you, Jesus. And Lord, I ask that you would... Um, would you graciously use me? Would you use my words? Would, would you allow the things that I'm sharing, Lord, to be uh, not from my flesh, not from um, just a study, but, Lord, uh, you would empower these things, empower your spirit, that you would be speaking, you would be encouraging your people, you would be moving us toward life and godliness. We love you, Christ. We submit to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated, family. Thanks. Uh, we are obviously in the book of Acts right now, and we've been trucking along for a little time now. I want to encourage you, if you are, are new, you can uh, raise your hand, and, and Pastor Leon will be passing out Bibles. Uh, you can go ahead and do that, and then we'll jump into the text. A uh, few ground rules, just letting you know that we, you can ask questions in this local body. That's, that's encouraged. We want you to understand what the scriptures are saying. Uh, it's important for us. So that will lead, uh, hopefully, that information, which you do, will be predicated on what you know, and it will lead toward our worship in Christ. So that's our heart. Um, we go through books of the Bible because we, we believe that in our flesh we will try and probably stay near those areas that are more comfortable. And so uh, we, we know that God wants us to understand his whole counsel <clears throat> and not just stay in those areas that make us look cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we're going through um, every book of the Bible. As we, as we serve the Lord, and always make, we make the joke that we'll walk through every book, and then when we get done, we'll go through every book again. That's going to be our deal. And I just want to say uh, for ahead of time, excuse me, I've been, I had this crazy cough, and uh, I was kind of sick this week, so I'll probably be coughing here and there. So just excuse me in advance. I just want to encourage you in that. Uh, let me give you a brief snapshot of, of where we're at, uh, and, and encourage you if you haven't uh, followed us and you want to start following where we're at in the series, Please go ahead. That'd be cool. Uh, you can go online. You can listen to some uh, the past sermons and catch yourself up. You are on a moving train, as you see. We're in <clears throat> we're in the later chapters of of, of Acts. So, so hopefully you will, um, hopefully this sermon will even make sense based on what's happened thus far. Maybe I can help you with that by giving you a brief snapshot of the summary. Uh, it kind of goes like this, guys. Luke and Act uh, basically used to be one book. Okay, 
And then as time went on, uh, it became two books. Uh, Luke writ, wrote this book to Theophilus uh, to try and encourage him to become a Christian. Okay? And Theophilus was a very powerful uh, Greek man. Uh, so the book was written to encourage him on who Jesus was, what he had done, and that man, Jesus, worthy of your life. That was kind of the goal. Uh, Jesus, uh, in, in doing that, uh, in the book, what happens is in, in Luke, you know, Jesus dies on the cross, he rises from the dead, and then basically Acts comes in, and it's kind of in between the sense of like him rising from the dead and actually ascending to the right hand of the Father. So Jesus does die, reveals himself uh, in the beginning of Acts to uh, the individuals who were kind of defeated at first because they had saw their Savior, their powerful Savior, died as mutilated death and thinking, oh, what was all this for? Well, he rises, reveals himself. They get excited about, man, Jesus is really alive. So then he's, Jesus doesn't just rise from the dead, doesn't just show he's alive. He then gives them a mission. He says, yeah, I'm alive. So now everything's changed. Whole landscape, landscape has changed. Your life has changed. You, you're just a whole, whole new meaning for everything, right? Has changed. And not only are you going to get this new mission, but I'm going to give you the power to accomplish the mission. So I'm going to, I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. So he gives them the mission, which basically is our mission today, right? And then he fills them with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then what you see, all of a sudden, these same guys who are wimps, who are running, who are lying, saying, I don't know who Jesus is. No, I'm not really a Galilean. All this stuff, those same individuals, all of a sudden, just like that, start having just power that was just unimaginable. They started proclaiming the gospel to onlookers, and we begin to see grace just fall on people, and people become Christians, all over the place. In fact, we see thousands upon thousands of people in the next few chapters of Acts become, become Christians. So all of a sudden, the Christian community is formed. Now they're figuring out, okay, we love Jesus. We're now these new people of God, as it were. We love Jesus. So now what does it mean to be a covenant community? What does it mean to love Jesus and walk with Christ? So now they're trying to figure this whole thing out. Uh, Jesus begins to allow these people to have God's grace as they're figuring this out. And then while they're figuring this out, they're continually proclaiming the gospel. They begin to see God do some healings, right? And so God begins to use these same people to heal and preach like Jesus healed and preached, which validated their ministry that actually Jesus is actually endorsing them, as it were, and not endorsing the old way, right? God begins to work through his people, and then they begin to focus this work, or you see specifically on Peter and John and how he's, how he's using these two individuals. Well, the, all the powers that be begin to see this, the Sanhedrin, uh, the Pharisees, all these individuals, and they begin to grab and question these guys. What are you doing? I can't believe you're turning Jerusalem upside down. Um, they take it. Again, the same guys who are spiritual wimps are now standing in the face of these very powerful people and saying, what must we do? We gotta, who are we going to fear? Are we going to fear you or are we going to fear God? These same individuals who were denying Jesus just a few chapters ago. All right? So then the Lord begins to show us throughout the book that as we continue to go on, that the church begins to thrive. They don't kill Peter or John. Uh, Peter or John. They say, well, can you just quit, quit preaching Jesus? They say, whatever. They keep preaching Jesus. People keep getting saved. Thousands upon thousands. More people keep getting saved. Uh, church is thriving. Then all of a sudden we see some sin in the camp, in the church, right? Ananias and Sapphira. We see people drop dead because God is serious about holiness. And so what God begins to do, he raises up the people. He, they, pre- they preach the gospel. People become Christians, right? They have this Christian community form. They get opposition. God begins to show how he handles opposition. But then God begins to show us how he handles Christian community, right? And he shows that sin is serious in Christian community and holiness is serious. And so uh, individuals drop dead and we started seeing the church be, be like, oh my goodness. And, but actually we started seeing the church actually grow even more. Uh, the apostles get arrested again, right? They get questioned, and now this time they actually get uh, flogged and beaten. Uh, so you have this kind of theme that's going on as the gospel is being proclaimed, uh, Jesus is being lifted up, miracles are happening, which is validating their ministry. Uh, the powers that be are getting so scared and upset because they're seeing literally the city begin to like leave their hands in their grasp because now there's this new king, as it were, the real king. And then we get introduced last week to Stephen. While all this is going on, we get, we get introduced to Stephen and we see some kind of internal drama, as one of our elders so uh, graciously put it, that's happening in the church, the second internal drama, and they begin to handle that issue. So that's where we are today. So as we're, while we're there, I want to kind of help us see what's happening in the book as a whole, if I can. And I don't know why I try to do this. I'm not a good writer, but I think I, just, I, think I really want to be, so I keep trying to find excuses to use this thing. So... Here is, 
here is kind of what's happening um, in the crescendo of, of the New Testament, or I would say in the book of Acts in particular. Uh, what happens is you begin to see, okay, Jesus is, is obviously our rock, right? So he's here, and you're talking about... What does it mean when you talk about you know New Testament history or uh, or yes? Is that cool? Okay. Well, pray. Well, just says Jesus. So uh, so uh, well, will black help? I don't know. No. All right. Pray for me and give me grace. Okay, so so what happens is you have Jesus being basically the rock, right? And then when you think of him, I don't know how to, what to call this, maybe um, uh, to understand just the, 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 the you, Jewish, you know, the Jewish end, the Jewish telos, or I'll say end, or as it were, new creation, New Testament, new creation. I'll say, I'll call it that. New creation, New Testament. Here's what's going on. That's what we'll call this. Okay? You have Jesus coming on the scene, and I say Jewish end in like where they're headed, not as they're over, but where they're headed. Okay? This is where they're headed. New creation and New Testament. All right? So you have Jesus being the head, and then all of a sudden you see um, in, this, in the scriptures in the beginning of Acts, you see that Peter, and, and, and Jesus talks about this, that him being the rock, and we shouldn't get nervous about that. That's actually true. I know we get nervous and think, are we now Catholic? No. Um, he is the rock. Uh, he is basically the leader of the New Testament church. And we can affirm that biblically because it's true and we're not ascribing uh, the papacy, okay? Just to, just to let you guys know that. All right, so, so, then, so you have Jesus being a rock and then what's happening is you have, um, you have Luke writing to Theophilus and saying, Jesus is the rock of everything, okay? And so now let me show you how this, how, how this history is kind of panning out. And you have this Peter who's preaching about, about this rock, about who Christ is. And as we continue to move on, we see Peter's focus as he's preaching about the rock. The focus is about, is about the Jews, okay? It's about really the whole, the, the beginning of the concept of Acts 1-8, that you're gonna, you're gonna have, you're gonna receive power, and you're gonna go into the world, you're gonna go and you're gonna go into Jerusalem. Jerusalem, as it were, okay? And so you have Peter being the man who's going to take the gospel to the Jews, right? And he proclaims the gospel. All right? Now, what begins to happen is all of a sudden you begin to see, this is a beautiful, I just want you to understand, a book is a book of history that's really happening, but it's also a book. It's, it's, it's beautiful that these writers, the Holy Spirit's empowering them to write a book. And so they're thinking about how grammatically and how to, how to shape a book. So it is a beautiful novel where they're not giving you everything, but they're, they're telling you specific things so they can make a specific point. All right, and so what he's trying to do here is he's saying Jesus is the rock. Peter's kind of processing and bringing this thing to the Jews. But remember, the, 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 procl- the proclamation in Acts 1-8 is that this is going to go to Jerusalem, right? And to Samaria, and to, right? And, and Judea, and, and to the almost parts of the world, right? So all of a sudden, we begin to know that Paul is going to be coming up soon, right? So he's coming up, and what is he, what's his focus? He's going to be... Right, the man who's preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Okay? And then up here, right, is, is basically us. And what happens is, is in between here, I don't know what to do here. I mean, I, this is supposed to be a bridge. I think, I think what the Lord is doing through his people is in this passage that we're in right now and also next week and actually what was happening even last week, I think one of the main points that, that, the, that the writer was trying to do uh, was introduce Stephen. And what Stephen is, is he's actually a bridge, right? He's actually a bridge between Peter and Paul. And what, what Stephen is doing is Stephen actually is going to be preaching the gospel, which is, which is interesting. He's preaching the gospel to uh, Jewish Hellenists. So he's preaching the go- gospel, and you'll see, we'll, we'll look at the text, to, uh, to Greeks, right, um, who, are, who are steeped into Hellenism. So almost like Greek Jews. <laughs> so it's almost like a mixed bag here. 
Okay, and what's happening here is he's he, is that the author is saying we're we're moving toward this sense of we're moving with the Jews, then we're going to have the mixed bag, then we go to the Gentiles, and then the uttermost parts of the world, which is where we are. See that? So that's kind of what's happening uh, in the book of Acts as we move forward uh, in the book. Okay, that's what we're, that's what's going on. All right, so in this passage, just keep that in the back of your mind um, as we're walking through. I'm hoping that helps you a little bit as you see uh, that, man, these authors are, are intentional. And I just think it's um, wonderful of how they're very intentional about how they formulate and frame the book um, so that we can understand what's going on and understand our place in history, uh, which is really exciting. That, that we're, we're in the uttermost part place. We get to proclaim it with everybody. So it's cool. Um, now let's talk about Stephen just a little bit. Uh, if you remember Stephen, uh, Stephen was one of those guys who was selected uh, as as uh, one of those men who would really help uh, in, in in basically being a deacon in serving uh, the local church. I introduced uh, last week, but what's interesting as we're going to see uh, in the passage, I want to tell you it seems like Stephen is a little more than a, a deacon. We see some of the things that happen to him. But one thing I begin to begin to ask myself as I as I thought about Stephen, as you've read, hopefully, uh, this passage already, and you look at the testimony uh, that's given, is, man, like, what, um, what are you willing to be killed for? What are you, what are you, what, like, at what point are you willing to say, I'm willing to die for this? At what point are you willing to say, you know what, Lord, you can, you can kill me right now if this, if this, if this be your will? Because I, I wonder if, if one, of the, one of the things we're going to be seeing in the scriptures is that uh, until we are willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to die, I'm willing to, uh, I'm willing, as my, one of my friends says, to be stoned um, uh, for, for my faith, it's going to be really hard for us to free ourselves up from our idols, uh, to free ourselves up from being who God has called us to be. And I don't even say uh, to, to understand the church, understand our love for the church. And so I'm going to process that a little bit with you, uh, starting in verse 8. Look what it says. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Okay? Now, what's interesting, it says right here in verse 8 that he was full of grace and full of power. But haven't we heard him being full of something else earlier? Spirit? And what else? What verse? Somebody go to verse 5, I believe. A couple of verses ago. What is he full of? So we see, we see Stephen being full of faith, the spirit, power, and grace. Okay? Right? Full of something, right? Meaning that basically you are, you are controlled by it. The whole concept in Ephesians 5.18, right? Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled uh, with the Spirit, and you are totally controlled by it. I want you to remember that piece of the passage, okay, as we continue to see how God uses him and what happens, all right? He's filled with grace, power, spirit, right, and faith. Who else gets talked like, like, about like that? Christ. Jesus does, okay? Jesus gets the same, so there's, and there's a sense of a retelling of the story, retelling of us seeing someone who's experiencing those graces again. A lot of times what's happening in Acts is there's a validation thing going, is that God is trying to validate who the true people of God are. All right? Pause for that in just a moment. Think about that. Keep that in your mind. And it says that this Stephen, who's a deacon, you know, he was at first just kind of helping the widows, but it says that he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Right? That's what I'm saying. He was a little more than a deacon. This brother, it seems like he was more, he had more of a prophetic aspect, and he actually gets uh, recollected with a prophet toward the end of the passage. All right? He gets compared to a prophet, um, which we'll see in a moment. So this is Stephen. This is this guy. And it says in verse 9, then some of them who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, right, as it was called, these freedmen, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. So here we go, we get to see some of, of the individuals he's ministering to, which is very interesting, okay guys? So these freedmen people, 
right? They're called this, or, or libertines, I don't know what your passage says, um, are people who were basically taken off to become slaves in like the, um, in, in the B.C. era of like 60, you know, 60s to 70 B.C., uh, actually by Pompeii. And they had gone into Israel, taken these guys as slaves. These guys were freed. Uh, and then what they began to do is they went back and they moved out to Rome. And they started a little group called the Libertines. And they had their own synagogue. And so there's, during, during the New Testament history of Israel, there's like 400, 480 or so different kinds of synagogues. It's like denominations. Isn't that interesting? Um, and I said it to say, but what's interesting is they all had like different nuances. But here in this passage, you got different people from different gatherings getting together all to side, to side against Stephen. So at this point, they're like, well, I don't like what you think about, you know, gay marriage. But guess what? We need to deal with this brother. Right? Well, so you got the, the freedmen, the, liber- the, the, the libertines, and then you got these other groups from, from, from Africa, right? The Cyrenians, uh, that's an African province in Libya. Uh, you have this, the, the Alexandrians, right? Large Jewish colony. Uh, basically, Alexander the Great, you know, when you've read, you know, your, your Hellenized times, you know, in Alexander the Great, how he, he basically Romanized the whole world, basically, or Hellenized it. That was the capital of Egypt. So all these are, are places where Jews were there, but they were totally Hellenized. They were like Greek Jews. So he's, he's hanging and dealing with and talking with these guys. And then in Cilicia, in Asia, that's huge. Right? These are two distinct Asia Minor places. And when you say Asia Minor, because I know you probably hear that a lot when you're talking Christian, Christian lingo, that's basically an uh, area of Turkey. Okay? So when you think of Turkey, um, and it's like near Syria. So it's an area of Turkey that's near Syria. That was kind of, when you talk about, uh, you hear that whole concept of Asia Minor. It's actually a big part of, of, of Asia, but it's that Syrian uh, area in Turkey. But here's what's interesting. In that area, in, in, in Cilicia, guess what the main city is there? Tarsus. That's extremely important. Guess why that's important? Because I want to tell you right now that I think in these arguments right here, is Saul. That the people he's, he's talking to right now, he's talking to those individuals, the head honchos of those places, and they're all hanging out. And I want to prove it to you because at the end, when we see Stephen get killed for his faith, guess who's there saying, I affirm this? Saul is. You see the picture now? See, this is all happening. Saul Saudi, man. And so he's arguing with this dude. Saul himself, can you imagine? Now you, now, now you hear those passages in the scriptures where, where Paul says, man, I'm the least of the apostles. See, it means something to me. Because I'm thinking, man, he remembers, man, I killed Stephen. He knows that stuff. He's thinking about what he's done. He's going, you think I'll ever stand up like I'm somebody? This is God's grace. I'm convinced of it. So that's the crew. You got all the head honchos, all the learning. Remember, Paul saw was was trained by Gamaliel. We learned about Gamaliel a couple weeks ago. He was the big time boy. He was like probably the most prominent, most intelligent scholar. He was past the rabbi stage. Remember we talked about that? Okay? He he was the two main individuals, right, during that day where people said, if you want to talk to somebody who knows their stuff, talk to this guy. And so he was like, I forgot the word, but it was even different than rabbi. Well, he was training Saul. I said it to say all this learning, they're talking, and it, it, it comes off that, that basically they start arguing, but that's not how the word, when it says dispute it, all that really means is it was a fair debate. I want to, you know, as, I, as I've done original languages, it means it was a fair debate, that they started really talking about the issues. Okay? And I love saying that because look what it says in verse 10. They're having a fair debate, and it says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. You're talking, you got the smartest guys, all the most intellectual guys, all the guys who know their history and their stuff. Pharisees. Again, you know, Saul's a Pharisee. These guys are the big wigs. And it says, they go up against Stephen, and Stephen being filled with the spirit, filled with power, filled with faith, filled with grace, just ministers the oracles of God and all their learning could not all, and all the different individuals standing together to combine couldn't handle Stephen. 
Because God had filled him. Because God's spirit had filled him. And so they were no match against Stephen. Does that encourage you today? Do you sense that God is trying to encourage us? You know, I don't, I don't automatically go over to pragmatics quickly, but we got to pause here. He's showing what he does in people when we submit to him and he fills us. That we don't have to stand up and think, oh, but that guy knows more than me. He did more schooling than me. No, 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 no. When God fills us with his grace, when the Holy Spirit fills you and me, God says, because it's really not about you, they're no match for me. It's not about you. When you're talking about the gospel, it ain't about you. It ain't about me. We don't have to have it all together because he rose. And that's why God even talks about it. He says, guys, remember now, there's going to come a time you're going to be standing before the magistrates. Chill. I got this. You just submit, and I guarantee you, I'll blow your mind. It's not you blowing their mind. I'm just even like, dang, I, I, Matt, that, you see what I just said? Oh, oh no. Can you imagine? You ever had that happen? I had to happen to me. You ever had to happen to you where you're walking with the Lord and you're talking with someone, and the Lord just gives you wisdom, and you're like, man, how did that, where did that come from? You leave like, yeah, that was tight, right? You'd be like, wow. You don't even know what happened. But God bless you at that moment. There's some Holy Spirit moments where he wants to remind you it's not about you. So it says they couldn't withstand it. They couldn't handle Stephen. Now, you know how we are, right? Y'all know how we are. Man, when someone gets you like that, when you got all that, you're all prepared, and you just and you just sense like, no, God's hand is over that, brother. There's nothing I can do. And I saw, guys, pray. Can I just, let me just pause. I'm telling y'all, at the um, 3 on 3 tournament yesterday, when Demetrius was preaching the gospel, it, to me, was probably one of the best outreach gospel presentations we've ever had outside in the history of Mac Ave. It was, it was uh, so contextualized and so theologically deep at the same time. It was one of those moments, it was like, like what you going to do, man? Like, God blessing his brother. Like, you stupid now. If you come up in here trying, I mean, it was, like, it was one of those moments where it was like, just step back. God is, God's, God's blessing is due. And, and it was the first time. We had, how many brothers was there? I mean, we had a ton of people there, a ton of brothers. It was the first time that brothers... For 10 minutes, didn't say nothing. Standing there like. <laughs> I mean, you know, keep cracking jokes and stuff. I'm like, what's up? I mean, you ever have those moments where you're like, God is here. You can't teach that. This is, this is God said, I'm going to do this. And then all the preparation, it, was, it blew me away. I was like, man, Lord, praise the Lord. But you know what happens? When it happens against you, you know what we do? We defame people. Right? So we, you know, so someone says something, they, they're tight, and you're like, man, but I won't argue, but you, you keep winning. Well, I can't beat you with knowledge. I can't beat you because you're telling the truth, and I'm you exposing, I'm lying. So I guess I'll defame you. Look what it says in verse 11. Then they secretly instigated men who said, <laughs> instigated men, you see that? That's the only tactic. Their tactic had to be slander, right? Because they couldn't win the old-fashioned way. Right? I'm not winning. There's a normal debate, so I'm going to have a little tactic here. Mom? Oh, you preaching. Okay, you just worshiping. I'm sorry. All right. So they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't. So it says in verse 11, then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So the concept secretly instigated is kind of almost like bought men who falsely accuse. Like, hey, okay, how much you need? Five dollars, man? Would you, would you say you heard this brother do that? All right, you too. Oh, come on, man, come on. Right, you bring the brothers over, and you're like, well, look, 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 I, hear you, I hear you bringing it, but these guys got something against you. <laughs> right? They had, to, they had to up the ante a little bit. Have we seen this before? Have we seen people just falsely accused? We see Christ. These are for a reason, family of God. The reason why the Bible writes it as such, because it wants to remind you of, of things that Jesus said. He says, hey, just how they're doing me, they're going to do you. And so then, when they actually do you like they did Jesus, you're not like, why are they doing me like they did Jesus? You're like, oh, Jesus said they would do me like they did him. It's real simple, right? It's real simple. And so the very same things that happened to our Savior and Lord who died for us, he said, it's going to happen to you. So when it happens, don't shrink back. Stand firm in the Holy Spirit. Know that, oh, God said this is going to happen. Okay, that means, at all, guess what that does? That validates that God is even more real. Doesn't it? It shouldn't shrink your faith. It should make you go, praise the Lord. Because God said it. 
In Mark 14, you can write the address down, verses 55 to 59, you can see one of those passages. But it's all throughout the Synoptic Gospels. So you can look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you see it over and over again. He's presenting Christ. They're mad. They're saying he blasphemed, right? And the scripture says, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, verse 12, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. So now it's turned up. Look at this. Now they're like, okay, we got to do this. Look, it says, all right, they stirred him up. So this is a concept of violence, right? Right. This is not now. It was a debate. It was cool until you start winning, right? <laughs> until the other dudes start winning. Now, now guys get crazy. And so now you got this concept of violence. Uh, same word, if you think of like the word violence is used in 8, Luke 8 and Acts 27, 15. Um, it was interesting in this passage, you notice something? How have the people been responding against the, new, against the real people of God so far in Acts? Huh? Well, no, no. The, the people have not been angry. They've been coming to Christ. They've been... Like, remember, in fact, the Sanhedrin then was scared to do stuff. Because they're like, the people love these people. So we can't even beat you down because they might kill us. Right? And so for a while, the people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, it's the first time we see the people stirred. You ever think about that? Why is that? All of a sudden, thousands of people have come to Christ. But all of a sudden, now, people are kind of getting upset. I want to propose to you it's for the very reason why the author is now trying to do a pivot and show you that we're kind of moving out of Jerusalem. Because guess what? All the people that want Jesus got them and all the rest of these cats are tripping now. In a nutshell. Let me say it, let me say it in English. So, so that the Lord is saying we proclaim the gospel in Jerusalem and people have been coming to Christ and coming to Christ and coming to Christ and all of a sudden he's proclaiming the gospel and the onlookers are, are just those who are like I don't really care and now when they get wind of drama or defamation or slander they're like I'll eat that hmm that makes it yeah you, you're right get them right we have violence comes out so they're being violated to him. Look at this. It says, verse 13, And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. Now what's interesting to me um, is why does Luke say false witnesses? I thought that was interesting because actually what he's saying is true. <laughs> you ever think about that? It ain't false. He, right? He... he they were saying this. So why, why do you guys think he says false witnesses there? Think about that. I want to propose to you, I mean, for sure, the, the, thing that, the things that Stephen's are saying about Christ and about this whole concept of the temple, you know, you, you tear the temple down, I raise it in three days. Yeah, he actually said it. So, so you're like, well, that's unfair. You're telling a false witness. We actually did hear you say it. I want to propose to you the reason why, the reason why we see him saying this and we, even the reason why we see Jesus saying in the Gospels is because they're saying they're not false in the fact that he said it, but they're false in the sense of what they th- thought he meant. You see, so what they thought he was talking about was the building, right? And that's not what Jesus was talking about. So he's like, if you, and, and, and which I love because that shows you that meaning matters, right? And that means that you can be saying Jesus, but if you're not talking about the Jesus of the Bible, you got the wrong Jesus, for example. Meaning matters, Right, and so, so it was. It, so it wasn't about the holy place as, as it were. I would say as it, it was kind of, and I'll, I'll explain that in a moment. But let me just say this: I love the fact that <clears throat> when I when I when I think about uh, the trickery of the trickery of Satan and and what he uses. Have you ever thought about this? I was I was I was praying and and, <clears throat> and preparing and seeking the Lord, and I thought, thought Lord. When I sit down and really think about it, although you tell us that, that Satan is the craftiest of creation, he really only uses a couple things. I, I just was blown away because I think in my, in my pride, I want to say, man, Satan, man, he just got to use all these crafty and all these 55, 60,000 things to trick me up. He's always thinking of new ways to try to get me to defame the Lord. And, and it's like really like two. You know, that just helps my pride to think he has to do all this work. 
Yeah. But in, in a lot of our lives, it's like a couple things that holds you in a stranglehold from being freed up to be who God has called you to be. And I say that to say, man, only if you would just say, Lord, I want to trust you to release me from that one or two thing. What would the Lord do? And I would say in the church, there's probably three main ways that he, he keeps us in paranoia state. He keeps us in a state where we can't be who God has called us to be. And we've seen it throughout the text, and he's going back to it again. I, I bring this up because basically we see when persecution, right, it's not an enemy of the church, but sometimes it could hinder us when we get persecuted, right? Mental, physical, we just pause, like, oh, right? It could be mental, physical, emotional. It just hinders us from mission. Um, sin in the church, right? Some of us have, we have these double lives, man. We come here, we're all oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. How you doing? I'm doing great in the Lord. And you have this whole double life, you know, where you're doing things that you know don't honor the Lord and you, and you just, you, you, you harbor in sin or you sin against others. And sin hinders, it just hinders what God wants to do in this, in this people. And then dissension. And, and, that, and that's a sin, but man, it's such a, a biggie in the covenant community. Dissension, man, when, when we can't, when we don't experience unity, and you can kind of, we got spiritual mopers, you know? You know it's, and it's like, we, we, think, we think neutrality is even okay. But I want to say, no, the Lord wants you hot for Christ and his kingdom and his body and his local church. And I just kind of, I'll just kind of, yeah, well, I ain't going to call them a name, but I ain't going to like them. You know? Like, what is that? But God said, no, unity, love, passionate love, like the Trinity. And so what he does, he just does those, he, if you look, look at the text, he just keeps doing those three things. Right? So now we're back to persecution. Because he didn't try all the other ones so far. Already, we're in chapter what? Six, he already tried all those. You know. So, um, verse 14 says, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. Here's the charge, so we can see if he's telling the truth or not. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the custom that Moses delivered to us. Now, I love this. Look at what the author is doing here. So he brings up Moses, right? He could have brought up some other patriarchs. Brings up Moses for a reason. Could have brought up other patriarchs. I always remember that. Okay, he brings up Moses. And he says that he delivered the, the customs that Moses delivered to us. Okay, so what are we talking about here? I mean, did Jesus say he was going to destroy the temple? Absolutely. Right? In John uh, chapter 2, he's very clear. Actually, it says, can I read it? It says, um, and the Jews asked him, what sign have you to show us for doing this? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Right? And they come back. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. Right? And it says, hey, I spoke about the temple of my body. So did he simply mean, did he simply mean that even when he said the temple of my body, that he was going to die and just rise from the dead? Is that, is, that, is that just what he meant? Absolutely not. And see, that's the beauty. That's one of the beauties of, of being a, a Christian, is that what Jesus did is that he says, when I died, basically all that you thought about the temple and all you thought about the Old Testament rites died with me. They die with me. And when I rose, all those things that you thought about are now alive through me. That's the beauty. That's one of the beauties of the gospel. Right? Is that all of a sudden, right, the sin sacrifice of you going and, and delivering bulls and lambs and all that stuff, they don't have their, their blood can't pay. But see, when he died on the cross, he was the perfect sacrifice. So now atonement is only found in Christ. Right? To atone for your sin, the blood you need is Jesus' blood alone. He's the only one. Right now, it's not about some high, these high priests and these really holy people going and scared and having little ankle things on their on their um, on their ankles, and they're going to the holy of holies and they're scared that God's going to strike them down, and they're trying to offer sacrifice and they're doing all these things. He's our only high priest. The high priesthood is not only found in Christ, and so now we are priests because we are in Him. Now it's not about some building, right, that basically holds the glory of a, of a majestic king, but he says in himself is the fool and it dwells the glory of God. Do you see that? Is it all the things that the temple represented are now in Christ? 
that when he was destroyed, the temple was destroyed. The whole system, the sacrifices, the blood flowing, the priestly activity, God's presence, it all ended when he died and it all was in him as he lives. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that that's what our king did. He takes the place of everything in the temple. He takes the place of everything in the temple. See, now Hebrews, when you're reading the book of Hebrews, if you haven't, we encourage you to. Now that makes some sense. That's why the curtain was tore. You think, wow, why did did he tear the curtain? (laughs) Right? It was tore when Jesus died. It was was a token of destruction. I, I, I destroyed all that. And so I love that because he destroyed it spiritually before he destroyed it physically. Right? He took the place. So, so now, but, but then Stephen talks about it in the future tense. Like it's still, it's going to happen. I want to propose that he's still in line with Jesus because he's just basically saying what Jesus did and what's the reality is, is that I myself and other, other priests, as it were, because now we're in Christ, we're going to continue to model and show that until it actually is a clear reality that we can see. Because all that, that was a reality. People were still thinking that they had to sacrifice stuff and do all these other things. And he's like, no, no, no. We're going to continue to proclaim and let you understand that this is really is a reality. And it's going to be a reality as I proclaim the gospel. This is really important because um, your elder Nate alluded to this when he talked about the concept in the end of, of your passage where it talks about the, um, the priests coming to Christ. Right? We're going to talk about that in a moment. So that's what's going on, guys. So you go, man, well, this is a lot of Old Testament stuff. What, why does this matter to me? Atonement and, and man, sacrifices and, and laws. Why, why, I'm, you know, I'm a New Testament Christian baby. Like, why does this matter to me? You're like, you thinking that? You're thinking wrong. Let me show you what's up. Look what it says. And it says, in verse 15, And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Have you, you, tell me... What did that do to you when you heard that? Did you think about something? You, did you go, man, I've heard something like that before. I've heard something like that. Well, who? What? Moses. What are you trying to do here? What's going on here? Why is he doing this? Why is the author telling you this? This is important. Why is the author saying that, man, just like in Exodus 34, verses 29 to 35, you can put it up there if we have it. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, and as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. Can you imagine that? This is real. Imagine a dude saying, I'm going to go talk with God for a minute, y'all. Right? Got a veil on, goes in, talks with the Lord, comes out, dude face shining. We ain't talking about Vaseline and grease. Can you imagine? You know what? I just think it's hard. I think we're like, man, you got to be kidding me. It must be. No. I'm talking supernaturally glowing. Right? And Moses will put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. And I love how the scriptures let you know. It was almost like he supposed to have the veil on so they wouldn't see it. But the scriptures let you know. I'm give you a little peek. Ah, oh, look at that. What's up? Shining. Right. Just so you know, this, this thing valid. I'm saying, this is important. Validity. Gospel validity is the point of this passage. That this thing is valid now. And look what he's saying here in the passage. So what questions... Is Luke answering here? You might have to ask yourself. I want to say, he shows you this because I don't know. Now, the, the scriptures don't tell us. Uh, the, the, the writer lets us know that these people saw his face and it was a face like an angel. So I'm proposing what he's talking about is the glory of God. Okay? Because he's, he's, rec- he's, he's making you remember what happened with Moses. So that means they saw something supernatural. I don't think he was just smiling a lot. Right? I think he was trying to help you understand he saw something supernatural. And here's what he saw. Shekinah glory. That's glory, glory. I like, yeah, the charismatic say Shekinah glory, but Shekinah means glory. So, glory, glory. All right. So, um, but um, here's what's interesting about this passage. Is that Luke is wanting you to understand that you got these priestly people 
who are thinking, I got the truth. What God has shown us has been for thousands of years. This is valid. And what God is doing through Stephen as he's trying to introduce and actually move forward this pericope, move forward this passage toward moving it out of Jerusalem to the utmost parts of the world. He's saying, as we move from Jerusalem to Samaria to Judea and all this thing, all the most parts of the world, I'm letting you know something. This is God saying, here's my stamp of approval. What's happening in this passage is all the priestly people, all the powers that be, all the people who was holding dear to something very valid during that time, God is trying to graciously show them by pointing them to something, a marker that they are very clear with. They, they clearly understand the marker of Moses and the glory on his face shining. They're saying, just as you saw that, and that validated that that man wasn't crazy, that he was receiving something from Yahweh. Just as you saw that, when you look at this dude and you see his face, you better pause. You better get your life right because his testimony is valid. That's what's going on here. He's giving him a chance to repent. Chance to change. A chance to say, oh my goodness. Wow, this is hard. I, I grew all my life I wanted to be a priest. I thought I would be the man. And all of a sudden God is saying that I can't do it this way anymore. And what am I going to do? Am I going to be prideful and just believe a lie? Or if I'm going to repent and say, I'll get behind your policy, Jesus. Stephen, tell me more about Jesus. Here's your chance. That the testimony is valid. It's the whole point of the passage. That just as his face glows... You got to make a decision now. Jesus is saying, this is the covenant God is endorsing. That everything now points to Christ. It's a humbling place to realize when the God of grace is not endorsing you. Isn't that humbling? When you're doing something in your life, And you realize, someone points it out and says, guess what, brother? God isn't for you in that. God isn't endorsing that. The question is, how does this matter? Because in all of our lives, we've got to ask ourselves, is there something in your life where God is saying, I'm not endorsing that, and he's giving you clarity? Here's my stamp right here. This is what I prove. Will you just lie to yourself? Will you just, well, I don't really see that. Or you humbly submit. Okay, Lord, I was wrong. You know what's interesting? What's interesting about this passage is here's a guy who is full of grace and power and spirit and faith who is retelling the story of Jesus and how do the people respond? They take him, they drag him in and violence, the scriptures say. And you know what that tells me? That sometimes it doesn't matter how good you do it. He couldn't have preached it perfect, more perfect. It says he was full with the spirit and power and faith and grace, just like Christ. And you know what it got him? It got him before these guys who then is going to eventually kill him. That's where it got him. That's where gospel-filled spirit faithfulness got him. It got him killed. Some come to faith. Some say, man, Lord, thank you for revealing that to me. I repent. Some don't. Cast you a question, family of God, people of God. Who is endorsing your life right now? When you think of your life, are you finding your endorsement out of some girlfriend, some dude, money? Who's endorsing you right now? Who, who makes you go, okay, now my life matters. You've affirmed me. Now I'm Okay. I'm okay now because you said I'm valid. Because my grace showed me I'm valid. Because now my husband showed me I'm valid. Okay, I'm okay. Who's endorsing you? Who tells you that your life is valid? That what you're doing matters? Where do you get it from? 
Who's putting a stamp on your life? Think about that. Who's putting a stamp on your life? Is it Christ? I want to propose to you. You're, you're, you're only approved. Any, anywhere else. This passage is about anywhere else you are not approved. Only in Christ are you approved. Now, some of us as Christians, we believe that and we need to be reminded. Right? We need to be reminded that, man, all this stuff I find my hope in, like that, that sin in itself, man, it just doesn't satisfy. It offers empty promises. It doesn't. It tells you oh, it's going to be okay, and you you try it, and you and you you do whatever you do, and it's still empty. And, and, and God says, "I know, baby, but true validation is in me." And I love Christianity because He just gives us that grace to have that ebb and flow. I'm praying, Lord, for me and for you that the pistons would hit harder, where we not find ourselves holding on a plastic pearl so long. And then there's some of us in here, man. We play the religious game. We're going through the motions. We find ourselves knowing this is the right thing to say, I love Jesus, but man, I want my life to be my own. I want to be my own God. I want to do my own thing. I want to set my own hedge of protection up. You're validating yourself. You're not letting Jesus validate you. Whatever you will not do for Jesus, whatever fear is holding that in, whatever is holding you, that's where your validation is coming from. And I'm praying today will be the day where you'll be released. Let's seek the Lord together, guys. We're going to see what God does with this man who's full of grace and truth and faith and spirit. But right now, just think about it. As we go into our community, as we ask questions of our community, right, guys? We talk about asking questions of our community, knowing what what people are asking. This is what people are asking our community. They're asking, why does this matter? My life is valid in these things. Hey, guys, go tell them the true answer. Tell them what, where, where life is truly valid. Tell them who's endorsing things. There's one endorser. I pray that this will allow us to experience freedom as a covenant community, but it will allow us to go out on mission by his grace with a little more truth of understanding what God has done in redemptive history for his renown and for our joy. Let me uh, pray for us. We're going to do tithe and offering right now.